today on Writers Get Animated. Wait, wait, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? What are you doing here? Oh, oh no. no. Paradox! Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and storytelling, and animation. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva, and so am I. Shut up, you. <laughs> Today, we're talking about time travel and things that happen or should happen or don't happen or maybe happen. It's kind of ambiguous in the plot. Uh, with time travel in a sh- specific episode of a series or a whole show concept. And how does one do time travel? Why are they so infamous in Star Trek? We'll never know. Today we're talking, we have two examples of time travel, um, and we'll get into this a little bit, but we have the first example is season one, episode nine of Gravity Falls, The Time Traveler's Pig. I I know you're really excited about talking about Gravity Falls. Finally, Mm -hmm. we're in season three of this podcast, and... We're just now getting to Gravity Falls at some point. but Our seasons are vague. I've mentioned it many times in the background. Yes, yes. It has been mentioned. The often mentioned, never spoken about Gravity Falls. Um, and also, because it's time travel, I feel like we can't not discuss Back to the Future. So we have Back to the Future, the animated series, season one, episode three, Forward to the Past, to look at the different concepts of time travel. Not to be confused with, as I was Googling this, apparently a segment of a Back to the Future video game. In yes. the chapter, the game is called Forward to the Past. I was had trouble finding things about the actual animated show. Yes. So you can <laughs> go out. They have an, a Blu-ray of the complete Back to the Future experience or whatever it's called. And it has all three movies and the complete animated series all together. Are they calling the animated series canon then? Uh, it seems to be with the, with bundling it together that way. I mean, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who wrote the films, was involved in the story creation of the animated series. And the animated series of Back to the Future is really strange, not just because it has Bill Nye in it. Bill Nye's in it? Yeah, Bill Nye's in it. You didn't watch Bill Nye in it? He's the science guy. That was Bill Nye, the science guy, in the Back to the Future episode. What? Okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So that's not the only reason that Back to the Future, the animated series, is interesting, but it has lots of story problems because of what it's trying to do. So we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about that. But why would you have time travel in your series slash film? What does time travel do? What does time travel allow for? And how do you use time travel to do exactly what we think should be done with time travel or anything that you decide to reveal something about your characters? Mm -hmm. I think that's what time travel should be used for. Anytime you take a concept that's out of the ordinary, how does it used to express character? With the caveat that I feel like time travel should somehow fit into the world of your show. Yes. I have a non-animated example here, and I apologize, but it made me angry. Um, A number of years ago, my roommate was binging on Netflix the show Felicity, the first J.J. Abrams thing. In a typical J.J. Abrams fashion, even though it's a teenage, like, high school drama, well, teenage college drama, completely, like grounded real world at the end of the show like in the fourth season they suddenly decide to introduce the main character goes back in time and changes things like the last seven episodes are in a different timeline after not having any sci-fi the rest of the show spoilers for felicity um so that is why i 
add the caveat, it should fit into the world of your show because you can use time travel if it's not part of your show, but it doesn't sit well with your audience if you don't establish that this is a thing that can happen first. Yeah. And I think Star Trek, uh, to go through something that has an animated piece to it, because there's Star Trek, the animated series, so we're cheating there. But Star Trek has time travel throughout Mm -hmm. in different ways for different reasons, and it, it just creates problems for plot, not so much for character, but it adds to plot and just yeah. complicates it. In Voyager, they like killed off people from one timeline, but brought them from another timeline. That, that's too start. I'm pulling a you and Harry Potter from last episode. Won't get into it. I'm sorry. I don't think that happened. I think I actually went back and re-recorded that episode and didn't discuss Harry Potter in that episode. So you might have just confused our entire audience by bringing up something that totally didn't happen because I fixed it. Sure. Hopefully this is the timeline where I fixed it. Sure, Jan. Um, So what makes a successful time travel concept other than like those big rules we're talking about? Uh, Like what can you use time travel for? You can fix one mistake and like how many tries do you get at fixing that one mistake? Do you start to overlap with yourself at some point? Which I think is the fun part of time travel is when you do overlap with yourself because you don't get the timing right. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be two of you at some point. But yeah, are you trying to fix one thing? Um, Are you, is there the concept of you no longer existing based on your own actions in the past? And when do you start to no longer exist? Is it the magical TV world stop existing where over the course of a 20 minute episode, you slowly start fading away for some reason, because that's how physics works in that show. Or would you instantly stop to exist because you changed your own past in such a way? Or do you somehow become your own grandfather? Ah, Futurama. Yeah. We've definitely talked about time travel before. No, we've talked about it before. We've never had like deconstructed the concept of time travel. Like, there are time travel episodes we've discussed, but not using time travel. I guess our listeners will have to go back in time through our podcast catalog and listen to find out. Now, so then there's taking it one step further, not that you no longer exist, but the world is completely transformed. Your actions have transformed the world and made it into an alternative version of the world, whether that be... Um, you know, a world where dinosaurs are still alive or like, what else, what else could be just horrifically wrong? Uh, everything's violent and Biff Tannen um, is in charge of everything. So you get an alternative version of things because of your actions. Yeah. Or S- Scorpius is the most popular kid at Hogwarts, you know. I wasn't going to bring in Harry Potter into this episode. And then you can bring in Cursed Child? Really? Yeah. I'm Team Scorpius, though, so. I have so many thoughts about Scorpius that are not going to be expressed in this con- in this thing. You meet your ancestors who look exactly like you. There's another concept is meeting the people, meeting your father in the past when he was like you. Meeting Played your by grandfather. Usually the, same, the same voice actor. Same actual actor, depend, you know. Yeah, you go back to ancient Greek times and there's like a dude there who looks exactly like this person you know from 2,000 years later, played by the same actor. And it works, you know. <laughs> it's a drama cheat. It is. It, it, it tells you the story very, very quickly. Oh, they're related. <laughs> I get it now. There will be... Yeah a connection immediately because they're related because somehow if you're related to somebody, you immediately have a bond. So it's quick emotional shorthand that raises the stakes because if anything happens to that person, something happens to you. Mm -hmm. And it's actual, I believe then dramatic irony because that related character from the past doesn't know that they're related to the other character who knows that they're related. Or they shouldn't because it could cause a paradox. 
That's my paradox sound. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So you'll know if you'll know when a paradox has occurred if you hear the paradox sound effect. <laughs> I'm like uh, Gene Roddenberry's wife. I should be the voice of all the new spaceships in Star Trek. <laughs> the other thing to consider, and this is a dramaturgical rule, because we always talk about dramaturgy, which are answering the questions to create the rules and structure for the world that you create in your drama. So who remembers the world and its state, the state of the world as you know it after your time travel havoc is created? So if you were to go back in the past, who remembers the way the present Oh, here's where we start getting confused. Here's <laughs> here's where you, because there's a point in every time travel thing where you just cause confusion. Mm -hmm. So let's say we're now, and we go back in the past and change something and come back to the future, which is the present. <laughs> or in the case of Back to the Future, the animated series, we come back to 1991, which is a past, but they're present. Exactly. And we, <laughs> to come back to a transformed world, who knows that the world is different and who doesn't like this world is just the way the world is for it's just, it's new set. It's it's new timeline. Does anyone have any memory of the way things were previously? And I've one additional one to add in terms of time travel concepts. If you're doing a looping time travel episode, how do you establish that loop and how do you put people in a frame of reference for when you are in the loop? Mm. Say, say a little bit more about the loop. There's always a cheat. I guess transitioning us into Gravity Falls, the time traveler's pig. Um, it's set at a, um, the Grunkle stand who kind of owns the mystery shack, which is this tourist attraction is putting on a, like a little fair type thing for the town. Um, and he has a dunk tape dunk tank that he's rigged so no one can dunk him um and he wants everyone to be mad at him so he keeps heckling people and saying it's 12 o'clock the dunk tank is open and so when they loop for the first time you hear him shout again it's 12 o'clock the dunk tank is open and so that concept that subplot of him and the dunk tank becomes the grounding point for knowing when you are in the loop and it also pivots on specific moments in time, specific events that you understand the progression. This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And when you end up, when you hear one thing happening, you know what happens next. And either it just sets a ticking clock for the characters to go through and, and get to each event. You know the way things worked. So now you're going to you know where you are in place. It creates a time map, as it were. And what I love about this episode of Gravity Falls and how it handles that looping is that as the show progresses and you know like what A, B, C, D events happen, they start happening faster and faster together, not in any kind of like conceptual way, just more establishing like, okay, Dipper misses his throw, so he Wendy gets a black eye, so Robbie comes over and like puts the snow cone on her eye, and it just starts happening in quicker succession so you can kind of jump to getting to the next loop and moving on with the plot of the episode rather than reliving the same sequence of events for a minute each time in the loop. So what happens, let's talk a little bit about what happens in this particular episode and why we're time jumping and why time travel is necessary and also appropriate in this particular episode. I love it. Um, I have to first preface Gravity Falls is not a show about time travel. It right. has... This episode that features time travel and like a little bit of other time related things, but it's mostly this is the main one. It, it's each episode is like a weird paranormal concept of the week. And this one happens to be time travel. So in this fair, you have the twins operating at full steam as characters because Dipper and Mabel are these young twins who are staying with their greedy grunkle Stan for the summer. And Dipper has his crush on this older coworker. There's Wendy and Mabel just loves life, voiced by Kristen Shaw, um, and just wants to have this pig that she wins at this fair. <laughs> and so you have her genuine love for this pig against Dipper's romantic love for their friend. 
And Dipper can't have romantic love for a friend, but as they're traveling in time and looping, he finds he can only win her love by having his twin sister give up winning the pig at the fair. And so it's which which sibling wins this war. So it's this great setup of just their characters pitted against each other. So they find a time traveler and <laughs> essentially steal his time traveling mechanism and uh, they start going back in time to try and help Dipper win the heart of Wendy. And hilarity ensues. Yes. And so uh, the first thing you have to answer is, one, why they need to go back in time. Why it's necessary for this character to go back in time. Are they going back to explore something? Are they going back to fix, like we were talking about earlier, to fix the one mistake. So this operates on the, we must fix one mistake. And if we fix that one mistake, then everything else will fall in line. And I do have one dramaturgical problem with the way time travel works here along the lines of fixing one mistake. And I didn't notice it like the first few times I've seen this episode, so it doesn't bug me too much. <laughs> but they go back in time to fix their mistake and they, rather than being there in addition to their other selves are kind of taking over their spot in the past. So it's like they're overwriting their past at that point. It's not like there's two Dippers and Mabels running around. It's Dipper and Mabel go back in time and that is where they are. And they have the knowledge from the past attempts. Yes. But so later in the episode, as they're fleeing through time and seeing some of their past adventures from earlier in the season, they're not overwriting themselves from those past episodes. It's there are two of them existing at the same time there. So it's more of a reset button where you're not traveling to that place in time. You are resetting the timeline to that point in time is the way that this is operating because there are not multiple dippers. Yes, for the labels. most part for the plot of the episode, but then they wrote themselves into a corner <laughs> with the rest of it and kind of fudged the physics. So so that's the, yeah, that, it, it is confusing, but it, it, they chose the Galaxy Quest time travel, which is reset, but the person who does the resetting remembers how things happened. Mm-hmm. So there's that answering the other question is why they need to go and then who remembers the world. So the two of them, because they did the traveling, will remember the way things were. So question for you, as someone who hasn't seen Gravity Falls before, but as someone who has seen time travel episodes before. <laughs> yes. Did you feel that this was original enough as a time travel concept to be interesting without knowing the world of the show? Uh, yes. And the reason why I found it interesting was because I cared about the characters and I think a lot of it had to do with timing and just things being um, original enough that it's a concept we've seen before. I need to go back, but I was laughing at things that were happening. So it was funny enough that it, it, you could see it wasn't taking itself too seriously. And it was in the franticness and just the silliness that, that you were able to see the time travel just build and, and just create bigger and bigger jokes. And I appreciated the humor of it. And I think the humor of it is where um, it, it was original for me as time travel. Yes. This is not my favorite thing, but it's just barely not my favorite thing. And I think one of the best time travel jokes that I've ever seen was to prove that he's a time traveler. Blendin Blendin, which is an amazing name for a time traveler, um, decides to go back in time to prove that he's a time traveler. And so he's standing in front of the kids. And he goes like, you don't believe me? I'll prove it to you. And he like uses his time machine. He goes back and immediately reappears in like a Henry VIII outfit. He goes... Guess where I've been? And the kid's like, oh, gasp. And he goes, that's right. 15 years ago, there's a costume shop on this spot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's the moment that I completely fell for this episode. It was like, okay, 
I see. <laughs> I'm I'm in. I'm it's like good. here's a trope of time travel. We have to prove that we're a time traveler. Okay, let's go back and like get some medieval outfits. <laughs> He's <laughs> rented a costume from 15 years ago. That's just great. <laughs> Specificity and surprise. Like yeah. it it knows the concept. It knows what you're expecting. And I think the characters also know a little bit about what you're expecting with time travel. They're not afraid of it. They just go right away to say, okay, this is possible. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. The other qu- thing you have to answer is how do they travel? Is it something mentally? So, you know, date X-Men days of future past where you get transported back telepathically into your past self. And it's not really time travel. It's mental travel. Uh, or is it something physical where you are physically transported? So in Gravity Falls, they have a tape measure. Oh, so amazing. Which is really, really well done um, because it's a nice physical action. It feels like you're pulling and resetting. You get that elastic feeling of the tape measure going back in and being transported. So it's a very quick physical action as opposed to setting time coordinates and doing all this other stuff and having it be, it's just pull it out and it goes right back in and and snaps you. Bonus, it's also, as a tape measure, easy to mess up and go too far back in time. Right. There's a built-in reason to accidentally go really far in the past. Right. So it's, it's really fun to see this different way of traveling. So it just had a really original way to get them to the past. And again, it's that idea that it was a reset instead of actually traveling back anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I suppose if they had gone, well, no, cause if they'd gone far back enough that they would have actually traveled as opposed to reset and inhabited their same bodies. But and there, w- it was a mix of traveling and resetting. Yeah. Which is my dramaturgical issue. But again, I didn't notice it the first few times I've watched this episode. Like, it's you're entertained enough and interested enough that you don't notice that fudge. Yeah. Because you're concentrating on the characters. You're concentrating on Dipper trying to fix the one mistake and just all the different ways that it continues to happen. It's just... Payoff after payoff after payoff after payoff. Really well done. So, you were about to say? I just have one other thing I want to commend this episode on in terms of writing a time travel episode. Because it is an episode in a TV show where they're going back in the past of other episodes of this TV show. And what they've done that's well is in the episodes that they show in the montage at the end where they're being chased through time. Um... They have put Blendon in the background of those earlier episodes leading up to this one. So you do see, it's like this Where's Waldo of Blendon, Blendon, before you meet him in episode nine. Of He's just in the background in these episodes. Very briefly, like, why is that guy there? He's there again. He's there again. It's just like this weird recurring background character until this episode. <laughs> so they've planned to have a time travel episode where they affect their own past which is what you should do if you're going to have a time travel episode in the context of something you've written already in your show. But that's knowing that you're going to end up doing a time travel episode. And it's nine episodes into the show. So, I mean, it's not too hard to plan. (laughs) Right. But I think season five, if you were doing this and the episode did not happen until season five, you're kind of writing around things. Yeah, that's harder. That's that's much, much harder. Um, <laughs> same voice as Morty? Yeah, so Blendon, Blendon, the time traveler, is the same voice uh, same voice actor as Morty from Rick and Morty. It's the same, like, I, 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 I don't know what you're going to do here. I just, I really feel like I, well, no, no, no. So, I mean, Gravity Falls and Rick and Morty are already like this, not even hypothetical shared universe. They are... <laughs> decidedly in the same universe um very different shows but they're definitely connected so it's it's nice to see the voice of morty playing this character that's very similar to his character on rick and morty (laughs) 
And I think the the other thing that we get character-wise, the reason we go back is because Dipper's having the character decision to reset things to try to get the girl. And then he goes forward in time for another character reason. Um, as, as you were mentioning early, earlier, Mackenzie, that the only way he's able to get the girl is through the help of his sister. And if she helps him, she won't be there in time to get the pig. And so she is without her pig. And he travels forward to see how his, his sister is doing. Well, he's like, it's just a pig she had for a minute. She'll get over it. Right. And to and prove to himself that she will, he goes back. He goes forward in time. To see if she's forgotten it. And no, she like hasn't. This, it's like a Futurama-style, like, heartbreaking montage. Like, we'll check tomorrow. And she's still, like, banging her head against the totem pole. It's like, well, maybe next week. And he goes forward in time. And she's still there. It's like, maybe in a month. And he goes forward. She's, like, covered in, like, moss and leaves and stuff. <laughs> and she's become an exhibit in their tourist travel. Like, and this is Mabel, the girl who didn't get what she wanted. <laughs> but, again, the time travel to serve the character. And he's only going forward to make himself feel better about his decision. It's a total character reason to go forward. And then that gives him the reason to reset everything back the way it was and make that decision to say, no, my sister is more important to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas he could have gone in the future a couple years, see if he's still dating her. But that's not what he went to go check on, which is how you, it's it's a different character decision in there. I mean, the core of Gravity Falls is the relationship between the two twins. And it's always been about how they play off each other and are pitted against each other at the same time. How they want the same thing, but very different things. And it's how they're both crazy. Mabel with her like sugar powered, like Lisa Frank style imagination. <laughs> which is amazing. There's so much they do with like dolphins with punching arms and are like boy band, boy crushes coming to life as clones in one episode. Like it's so good. Um, and then Dipper with just his X file style conspiracy theory, craziness. Both crazy in different ways. Yeah. So let's talk about two other siblings that are crazy in different ways. Um, Jules and Vern in Back to the Future, the animated series. The offspring of Dr. Emmett Brown that we first meet in the film Back to the Future Part 3. Are they actually in... I haven't seen Back to the Future Part 3 in so long. They're in that movie? They're in the end. They're at the end. Marty, I want you to meet my sons. This is Jules and Vern. And then Vern points to his um, groin because he has to pee. The actor has to pee. The poor little boy actor's like, I need to go potty. <laughs> this is something I just learned about on the internet recently. <laughs> the little kid's like, like looks off screen and then starts pointing like, I have to pee. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. Oh, so God. you're welcome, podcast listeners, for that. Go check it out. We might even put it in our show notes. No promises. I might actually go back in time and stop me from bringing that up. <laughs> so hopefully I did. Hopefully that's a timeline where I, you don't even know what I'm talking about anymore because I went back and fixed it. So speaking of fixing things, let's talk about the throwing time travel rules out the window for this Back to the Future episode. Well, in we talk all about, we've, we've been discussing character and having a character reason to go back in time. And that's exactly what Back to the Future itself is. The movie franchise is all character reasons to use time travel to either save your friend or rescue somebody. You know, it's all about character. And the movies are, exist because they get stuck in having that very 
nice um, character reasoning, and then they get stuck. That's that's the movie. They get stuck, and because they have good reasons for going through time, and then they get stuck. The animated series throws all that out the window and just goes in for silly jokes and nonsensical um, putting in a scientific lesson into each episode about some scientific concept, like not even trying to hide it in there conceptually. It's a blatant, here's how this works scientifically. And here's an experiment you can do at home too, kids. Well, it's not like useful science either, but I think this is also a product of the time the show's from where you were kind of required to have the educational bit in certain time slots. Yeah. And they thought, we have a scientist. Why not just have the scientist teach kids science? As we also show them something silly about time travel. So, Jules and Vern, what do we have in Forward to the Past? What happens? I don't know that I fully understand it. I kind of enjoy that none of it makes any sense at all. Um, <laughs> like, none of it makes sense. <laughs> Um, so I guess in my words, trying to explain what happens, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. So doc Brown invents this matter deconstructing thing that he wants to test, but it might be too dangerous to like test in modern times. Cause it might like backfire and destroy the world. Um, and for some reason he lets his like immature son pick this up and point it at their dog as if he's going to fire it. Um, to maybe deconstruct all matter. <laughs> and so he decides that they should go back in time to the Mesozoic era to test out um, their matter deconstructing device. And so they go back in time to that very spot in California at the end of the age of the dinosaurs. And they say, they even say like, it's the end of the age of the dinosaurs. And then they see a meteor coming through the atmosphere to destroy the earth. They're like, Oh no, we should stop it. Like why would, you be possessed to stop that meteor if you already know it's the end of the age of the dinosaurs. <laughs> and so they test the device, destroy the meteor. Cool. They meet this pterodactyl along the way called Donnie. Um, the thing named Donnie. The pterodactyl they, doesn't talk. They they uh, name it Donnie. They name the pterodactyl Donnie. And they're like, great, cool. Our job's done. This thing works. Awesome. Let's go back to the future. And so they go back and then they're in a giant like dinosaur future of California because they didn't stop the meteor. So the dinosaurs have evolved like people in those buildings and clothing and a British police officer. Um, and for some reason, the dinosaurs are like Godzilla sized in the future instead of regular dinosaur size, like they are in the past. And then they escape from a dinosaur and go back to the past and they reconstruct the meteor and the meteor maintains its velocity and location in terms of crashing into the earth. Somehow when they reconstruct it magically far away, um, they're like, cool, great. We're done. And, uh, Jules is like, I don't want to leave Donnie behind. He's like, I'm sorry. I can't help it. We have to go. And they wave by to Donnie, the pterodactyl. And Donnie's like, Rah! and they shoot into the future. And like literally two seconds later, a meteor hits that exact spot and they straight up murdered that pterodactyl. <laughs> like Donnie's dead and it's not even like the meteor hit him it's not like he died at the end of the age of dinosaurs like the meteor crashed into Donnie the pterodactyl just off screen one second after they left and so they go back to the future and like oh no it's so sad and then a tiny bird that looks exactly like a miniature feathered version of Donnie the pterodactyl flutters down at that moment to land on Jules hand like is this Donnie's great grandson like, clearly it looks exactly like Donnie the Pterodactyl, and he magically found you three billion years in the future. So that's my recap of... Oh, and there's a live-action, like, Christopher Lloyd-esque moment where he's talking about last time he was in the Dinosaur Age, he almost got eaten by a dinosaur, which doesn't really happen in this episode. Their framing a device doesn't happen. <laughs> it just makes me so angry. So that's my recap of this Back to the Future episode. <laughs> and then after the episode proper, we get 
the science experiment. D- did you watch the science experiment? No, I think I turned it off at that point. <laughs> so after you get the main plot of the episode, it always each episode of Back to the Future the Animated Series ended with a live action segment starring Bill Nye the Science Guy, where Doc Brown narrates um, how to do the experiment, just like the characters did in the animated show. So as they go back in time, they get stuck because they run out the battery to the DeLorean. By watching one music video. Yeah. So they run out the battery of of the DeLorean, and to get back, they find a whole bunch of lemons. They get aluminum and copper that they just happen to have. Um, and band them together in the lemons and generate the an, enough power to get their DeLorean working again. And I have to reiterate, because they have a very specific time machine, it's not enough power to power a time machine, which is up to you. Like, I wonder how much power they need. They have enough power to drive a car to 88 miles per hour <laughs> off from the, the lemon tree. <laughs> from the lemon. It's a lot of lemons. It's a lot of lemons. A lot of poorly animated lemons that are like double the size of Vern. Yeah, they're they're huge lemons. I mean, they're dinosaur lemons. So that's how they pack that extra time traveling power punch. I guess. I don't know. But here's here's the thing. <laughs> so when we talk about character, let's talk about Dr. Emmett L. Brown. So Dr. Brown, as we learn from the Back to the Future series, is very much concerned with changing anything in the past that would have an influence of the future. He doesn't want to have any knowledge of the future or anything. And yes, that does change at the end of the first movie where he reads a letter that his friend Marty leaves telling him that he's going to get shot and then takes precautions so he doesn't die. Yes, that's a nice character change. But he does understand huge repercussions that come from small actions. So, Doc Brown, I don't think, would travel back to the Mesozoic age to destroy something with a scientific ray that he's created for fear of horrifically transforming the world by destroying the smallest thing, let alone destroying a giant meteor. (laughs) It goes back to that episode of The Simpsons where Homer steps on a fish. Oh, I wish, I wish I hadn't stepped on that fish. I feel like that's a better version of this episode of Back to the Future. (laughs) It is. And now I want to watch that episode. (laughs) And it also has a toaster, like we talked about the <laughs> Brave Little Toaster last time. So it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Two episodes in one. But it's it's totally out of character to travel back in the past to try out this experiment. It may have been better for him to travel to space, which he can't do. He hasn't he doesn't have a space ship, but it'd be better for him to destroy another world than for him to <laughs> go back in the past and somehow manipulate ours. You also get the concept of destroying, I mean, you get two things, destroying your existence and destroying your um, the entire world. So they go through the way that Back to the Future does it, which is I'm manipulating the world and now I'm dissolving. The problem that they have here dramaturgically is in the first Back to the Future film, Marty is starting to dissolve because the timeline is progressing a certain way that could potentially lead to his non-existence, right? Mm -hmm. So there is still enough in flux that he may or may not exist. So it's a big question mark on whether he will stop existing or whether he is. So he's in a Marty McFly's box, Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's Marty McFly. Schrodinger's Marty McFly. Schrodinger's red vest. 
Um, will he continue? He both exists and doesn't exist at that moment because things are still in flux. In this episode of Back to the Future, the animated series, they get rid of the meteor and book it on out of there. They head back to the future, to a future where they don't exist. There is no question, will they exist, won't they exist? They don't exist. It's not, there's no longer the question mark, no human exists, none. There are not humans, there are only dinosaurs. So there's not a question. So it's not that they should be fading away. It's the second that they leave the past, they should be gone. There's not the question mark anymore. Yeah. And that's a paradox because then if they were gone, they could have never gone back in time to make themselves be gone. In Back to the Future, the movie, it's because they're approaching a paradox point. And that I get. That I'm okay with logically in the world of the movie. So... It's just you start getting into these rules and you make people angry when you get time travel because of these, you have to answer these questions. You have to answer what happens when you meet yourself, what happens when you destroy yourself. And if it's not something that makes sense or breaks rules that you've either created before or you just don't even care about the rules, you know, it just starts to get a little bit wibbly wobbly timey wimey timey wimey and we did talk a little bit about time travel in when we spoke about cinderella 3 oh yeah which is based on <laughs> time travel where they got to the exact moment in time that they needed to because magic mm-hmm. um but there's just lots of little things like that that you have to answer on why are they going back and if it's character motivated i think that we can forgive a lot of breaking rules of time travel as evidenced by Gravity Falls. Yes. If it's character motivated, we can forgive a lot. If it's not character motivated, then all we have is picking apart the concept. If it makes logical plot or emotional sense, we're willing to forgive messing up one of the other two. But in the case of Back to the Future, the animated series... It doesn't make logical or plot or emotional sense for any of it. So there's nothing to grasp onto as like a progression to forgive the rest. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, that's a nice, nice triangle to think of. I think if any of those points gets sanded off or it gets dulled, it still can stand. But if you dull two, you really, it can't stand anymore. <laughs> And it falls. triangles. Exactly. Now, now you just, you may have a point, but it's not as strong. <laughs> ah, double wordplay point. You may have a point. Thank you. Well done. I, I, I went for it. This is the reality where I did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> so, Again, time travel as a concept is difficult because there are a lot of things you have to keep in mind. But I think the number one point that you can't lose sight of is emotional slash character truth. You can't lose sight of that. I think that's the one point you have to keep steady. The other's... I mean, you want to keep, if you establish a rule for time travel, you have to hold on to that rule. But yeah. we, we start to notice your cheats if you don't have character strengthening Yeah, why you're going back in time. I feel like we could condense all 81 episodes of Raiders Get Animated into like, right for character, end of podcast. <laughs> Well, that would have saved us a whole lot of recording time. <laughs> Today we're discussing this. Right? Think about characters. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> so did you have a favorite thing of what uh, what we experienced this week? I do. I think it's in the Gravity Falls episode. It's the future montage of misery 
where Mabel's banging her head against the totem pole and Dipper just has that like heart wrenching moment of like, oh, do I want to like have this potential relationship or help my sister achieve her love in life, which is owning this pig. <laughs> How about for you? My favorite thing um, was also in the Gravity Falls. It's it's another montage of just montage. the baseball going wrong. So just how many times he just keeps trying to get the baseball thing right. So And how it can keep going wrong. Yeah. And get worse and get better, but still have the same outcome no matter what. He can try it differently, but it's going to have the same outcome. And I just enjoyed that very much. It was very nice. Did you want to talk about the next segment as we, we head on out of this? We can, and I can. So it is time again for Writers Get Notifications from Twitter. Um, this week we had Jared Bush tweet back to us. Jared oh. Bush is of course the co-director slash writer for Zootopia and the screenwriter for Moana. Um, and you can find him on Twitter at the Jared Bush. Uh, and he's given us the best and worst note that he has ever received on a script. Um, best note was on Zootopia from an early version. I want to like this world, but through Nick's eyes, I hate it through Hop's eyes. I love it. And as we've discussed in our Zootopia episode, that completely changed the movie into what is the now Academy Award winning Zootopia feature. <laughs> yes, it, it turns everything around. It's transformational in such a good way that but it's in such a dangerous way because it was so late in the process that they really had the decision to yet. We really need to change this. So it just changed a whole lot. It says one thing when you've designed a world that's a pun on utopia that you're supposed to like, but you're seeing it through the eyes of a character who hates it. Like, that's more like 1984. Like, I mean, I had watched 1984 with animals. Like, if you conflate Animal Farm in 1984 into one Disney animated movie, I'd watch that. Don't get me wrong. But for Zootopia, as we know it, I like it much better through Hop Size, as does the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And what was the worst note from Jared Bush? Um, Jared says, I apparently I'm on a first name basis. Hi, Jared. Um, worst <laughs> note was on a superhero movie I was writing. And the note was, I don't understand telepathy powers needs to be more real. How about instead of telepathy, the villain can shoot fire from his fingers. Ah, uh, the truer, more down to earth power of shooting fire from fingers. The character-driven, I shoot fire from my fingers. <laughs> what an excellent note. I completely disagree with Jared. This is perhaps the best note that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've talked about it in, in the past times when we've done our writers get notifications from Twitter, where we reached out to all these writers and directors and storyboard artists on Twitter um, and asked them for their best notes and worst notes. Um, where they were talking about it, the best ones have to do with character. Mm -hmm. The best ones are just character-based and not something conceptual. Like, yeah, I don't get telepathy. How about this? But maybe there was a character. Now, the other thing that we got before from Joshua Pruitt is maybe in the worst notes, there's something there. So maybe the rules of the way that telepathy was, wasn't working right. Perhaps it wasn't done by, um, it wasn't character driven in terms of why it had to be telepathy versus another random generic form of superpower. So why is telepathy tied to this character's thing? So the writer's skill of fi figuring out the real note behind the bad, um, rather silly note the is, is writer's skill. The more articulate version of what the note giver failed to actually give. Right. Yeah. So. And we're not saying that's necessarily the case with this note, Jared. We no. Don't, we don't know. We don't know. It's But it's just trying to pull all this together in our previous segments of Writers Get Notifications from Twitter. Next time on Homework Time in celebration and acknowledgement of Spider-Man coming to film finally. 
finally. For the first time ever, the very first Spider-Man movie ever. <laughs> and, you know, the first one recently, I mean, he's... It, it's been know, like, it's, what, a year since the last Spider-Man universe? <laughs> so, <laughs> in celebration of Spider-Man being back on the big screen in the MCU... Um, we are going to discuss Spider-Man in animation, but we're going to look at two specific episodes. And in, in normal fashion, they're the endings of multiple episode arcs. So feel free to watch the episodes that precede these. Um, but we're going to watch Spider-Man, the animated series from 1994, season one, episode nine, the Alien Costume, Part 3. So you can guess how many episodes you might want to also watch on that one. And also The Spectacular Spider-Man, Season 1, Episode 13, Nature versus Nurture. And I think there are about three or four episodes that precede that. If you only watch those two episodes, we will fill you in on what happens. And... Previously on the show that you didn't watch, we will we'll we will some do that. Music, it'll be good. Yeah. Some violin. I think I have a career in this. Yeah, yeah, you do. As always, thank you to Jacob Reed for good theme music, as opposed to my mouth noises, um, and to Nigel Catino for our engineering. I kind of turned the words around on that, but that sounds fine. You can find us on the web on Twitter at WG Animated. You can tweet at us the best note you've ever gotten on your writing or the worst note you've ever gotten on your writing and be featured in Writers Get Notifications from Twitter. Also, just let us know any show ideas or thoughts you have on these episodes. We love hearing from you. It's awesome. You can also like our page on Facebook.com slash WG Animated and go to the show notes for links and articles and all kinds of fun stuff for the show notes and things we've talked about writers get animated.tumblr.com chris we've got to get back back to the end of our podcast episode yes we should good, good night, night everybody, everybody. <laughs> we both good night everybody has anybody ever done a good Christopher Lloyd? I think even Dan Castellaneta couldn't do Christopher Lloyd well. <laughs>